What would you do if you suddenly came into an awful lot of money? What would you do if your bank account just surged, your bank account balance, I should say, it just surged overnight? Well, back in 2011 in the UK, there was a couple who won the Euro Millions Lottery. They won a staggering figure of £100 million. It's a lot of money. But uh, apparently, they uh, gave away about a third of their earnings, earnings, winnings, sorry, uh, to family members. Uh, they set up a charity, and I don't know much about this couple, but it looks like some good things came out of this. But the problem, though, problem was with their son. They gave him right away £1 million, which was about $1.7 Australian dollars, and he spent nearly all of it in the first month. His parents were surprised how he would run out of that much money so quickly, and, but they kept giving him bits of money as he needed it over time. Eventually, though, they called a family meeting. They said they couldn't keep supporting his lifestyle. He just wanted everything at his fingertips immediately. They said they'd help him out one last time, they'd pay off all these new debts that he had, but then that's it, no more money. And the next part of the story is very sad. Not satisfied with mom and dad's generosity so far, the son brought them to court and he sued them for more money. Horrible story, isn't it? You know, what, what do you think about that? Here we have a man who's blinded by his desires. Now, instead of thankfulness towards his parents, he's driven by dollar signs in his eyes. You know, our love of money, it literally gets in the way of love for mom and dad. If we could put one word on the ugliness that we see in this story, what would it be? Well, it's greed, isn't it? It's a very sad story of greed. Now, I know this is a pretty extreme example, and thankfully we don't have that in the news every single week, uh, but I want to say as we begin this sermon that we all know, myself included, we all know greed in some way. Now, I don't mean that we're just like this man, but I wonder if you can connect with any of these type of scenarios. Shopping at Macquarie Center, you pass one of those very large ads that they tend to have in the store front windows. And you start thinking about buying something you never, ever planned on going in and shopping for. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I really want that. Or your neighbor pulls into his driveway with a shiny new car. And then you glance over your shoulder at your older model. And all of a sudden, you're not quite happy with your car anymore. Or you find yourself saying, if only I had more money, or if only I had, you fill in the blank. Then life would be good then it'd be good. Begin to see how it works. Greed isn't only there when there are millions of dollars at stake. In fact, it doesn't even have to be about money. It's just a bit easier to talk about it in financial terms. It's there in the discontent with what we have. It's in the grabbing for more and when that's done in unhealthy ways. It can be all over the place in everyday life. So it shouldn't surprise us then but the Bible has a lot to say about greed. As we wrap up our Life Beyond the Seven Deadly Sins series, we're going to explore two Bible stories tonight. And my hope is that we're going to be able to see greed a little bit more clearly, also know how to deal with it a bit more as people who are made new in Jesus. And the first story is about the rich ruler from Luke chapter 18. 
Now, this story, it's across a few of the Gospels. If you put together the details, it looks something like this. This rich young man, this ruler, he runs up to Jesus, falls on his knees before him, and he asks the question that we heard in our first verse. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, at first, that looks pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, here we have this man, high standing in the community. He's rich, he's important, he's respected, and he's willing to come before Jesus and ask, how do I get into heaven? Seems humble, doesn't it, to ask that? He seems like a spiritual kind of guy. The way Jesus answers is pretty surprising. Look with me, please. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these are kept since I was a boy, he said. We can see from the words of Jesus that he knows what's going on inside this man. He challenges him on his use of the word good. See, this ruler, he believes that Jesus is just a teacher. He's just a man. But he still calls him good when goodness really, ultimately, is about God or pointing to God. What's happening here is this man, he is not approaching Jesus as someone who's connected with God. He's treating him as someone who's holding out a ticket for spiritual gain. And so Jesus challenges him. He lists a bunch of the Ten Commandments about adultery and murder and so on. And now at this point, this man is probably thinking, oh, I'm in. I'm in. Mentally, he's uh, checking off the, the, the checklist. He's ticking it off. I've been following this my whole life, he says. But look carefully at the list of commandments again. Do you see what's missing? The very first commandment. The one that's the backbone of all the others. You shall have no other gods before me. And so Jesus continues, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have. and Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. What's really happening here? Well, the man went away sad because Jesus just exposed his true God, his riches. He showed that because he wasn't able to part with him. See, this isn't a story of a man who's wanting God and heavenly glory, despite how he runs up to Jesus. It's about a man who has it all in this life, and he wants that to continue into the next. And so while he may have kept some of the commandments on a surface level, God is not in the picture for him. So this is really a story of how greed works. Now, does this mean, though, that money and possessions are bad? Should we read the words here, sell everything you have, and then have a big garage sale tomorrow? Well, no. See, this was Jesus' assessment of this man's heart. Now, maybe some of us need to have a garage sale, but this was Jesus' assessment of this man's heart at this time. And his God replacement was his wealth. And so that's where Jesus targeted for him. Look at Jesus' next words. He says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. See, this man chose his wealth. The reality is, in our hearts, there's no room for both wealth and God to each have top place. Here's what greed says. Greed says that I am at the center of my world. That God's not there, or he's off to the side, or I've tucked him away into a neat little corner. And so it's all about me then. It's all about my desires, and I have to keep filling them. I have to keep pursuing that. You know, that's what's going to give me significance and purpose and joy. That's how greed works in every human heart. The scary thing is that we all have something in common with the rich young ruler. Many of us know that tug in our hearts in some way. Oh, if only I had X, then I would be happy. How come I don't have what so-and-so has? Oh, if I just climb the ladder at work and I earn more, whatever that takes, then I'm going to get the life that I deserve. I want more, I want it better, I want it now. And whether that's subtle or in your face, that's greed on some level. So the real problem then with greed that it's living as if God isn't enough. All comes down to who God is, see? Who our functional God is and what role the real God has in our life. And we live in a world that's becoming more and more materialistic. Advertising is based on one simple principle, you know, telling us that we'd be happier and more fulfilled if we owned a certain product. Uh, A status is often connected with wealth. And here in Australia, sadly, we have a culture of just not being satisfied with the many, many good things that we have. So many people crave not just health or or fitness, but the beach-perfect body. You know, or instead of a comfortable and functioning home, it's the the always-renovated dream home. Or it's the fancy car, or the brand-name clothes, or the gourmet-only foods. Now again, is it wrong to go out to a nice restaurant? Now and then have a fancy meal? Is it wrong to buy a nice dress to wear to a wedding? Is it wrong to improve your home? Is it evil to have a positive bank balance, actually have some savings? Well, no. None of those things are wrong in and of themselves. The deeper question is what drives us? What defines us? What are we living for? What gives us significance? What's shaping us? Or or maybe I can say it like this. Are we accumulating and chasing things because they're promising something? Jesus says it clearly in Luke chapter 12. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is our treasure? That's really the question. Because no man can ultimately love both God and money, as Jesus also says, or any other form of riches for that matter. That's the sad part about this story. As the rich young ruler walked away, he wasn't just choosing to stay rich while staying sort of religious. He was rejecting God. He was saying no to God's riches. 
the God's glory and his goodness and his mercy and his kindness. Basically, he was saying no to God's kingdom. Because, see, to be greedy, really it's to say, I'm happy to live in the kingdom of me. So that's our first story. We learn that greed is about pursuing uh, what we want at all costs to satisfy what we think we need. But in the end, it's saying that God isn't good enough. Something else is better. We get a different kind of story as we move into the next chapter. Here we have Jesus coming to Jericho, and there's a man there named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus is also a very wealthy man, and he earned his riches through tax collecting. Now, this man apparently is quite short, the Bible says, and so he climbs a tree to get a close look at Jesus as he's moving through the crowd. And to his surprise, Jesus comes up to Zacchaeus, and he says that he wants to be his guest. Now, to get a sense of the impact of this, we need to know that tax collectors were absolutely hated in Jewish society. See, they collected taxes for the Romans, and they made a profit from that. And so they were seen as traitors. Uh, Verse 7 shows us what the people thought of Zacchaeus. To, To them, he was nothing but a filthy sinner. I mean, you didn't associate with people like Zacchaeus. Let's look at what happens next. Read with me, please, from verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Now we only get a little snapshot of the story here. But here's what I think happened. Jesus reached out to Zacchaeus with a gracious love when everyone else rejected him like a dirty sinner. So Zacchaeus found himself in a relationship with Jesus. He found himself a saved man. That spilled then over into generosity towards others. He saw how rich Jesus was towards him, and so in turn he wanted to bless others. He was made new in Christ. See, he had a new life in Jesus. So right away, he was acting in new ways with his riches. The story of Zacchaeus, quite different from the rich young ruler, this story is about greed turned upside down. It's about a man who finally sees the emptiness of chasing wealth, because knowing Christ has now filled his deepest need. Uh, there's a rest and satisfaction now that leads to an end of the chasing after wealth and things. And instead of people being objects just to make him richer and richer, now they become opportunities for kindness and generosity. Life becomes about the love of God leading to a love of others. That's Zacchaeus now. But you know, friends, that's our hope too. If we jump back to chapter 18 for a moment, we see that the people, they were so surprised when the rich man walked away. Who can be saved, they said. If someone like that can't be saved, who can be saved? But look at what Jesus replied in verse 27. What is impossible with men is possible with God. See, left to our own devices, we'd all be slaves to something. Okay, if not riches, something else would fill our hearts. Uh, Something else would leave us craving more. We'd always be chasing something to fill a hole inside of us. But salvation is possible with God, Jesus says. He sent Jesus to die and make us new, to give us that new life. He's the one who invades our hearts through his Son, and so to come to know Christ means that we're filled by him. 
Our hope is that greed gets replaced. Greed gets replaced with joy and contentment and thankfulness and satisfaction. And so then the things of this world, they lose their luster as the glories of, of God's kingdom start to shine more brightly. And the things that we once chased, they lose their significance because in light of eternity, they're pretty small, aren't they? That's our hope when we think about greed. We have a great hope as we think about this. So with this understanding of greed then, what can we do? Remember, in this series, we've been looking at how being new in Jesus is the answer to the sins that we struggle with. And yes, we'll keep struggling with these sins, and yes, we'll um, struggle with greed on some level. But there are good habits that we can put in place. As we walk with the Spirit, as Jesus makes us more like himself, as he keeps pouring out that new life in us, there are ways we can live. There are choices that we can make in his strength to go forward. So I want to share a few ideas with you. And the first thing I want to suggest is that we start to look out for greed. Be on the watch for it. See that it's actually all around us. And it might mean honestly wrestling with the question, do I want to just take the materialism of this world for granted? Is that the only way there is? I mean, is there another way? On a basic level, we just want to start there and ask that question. Start to see things properly. And then maybe we might need to do a few other things differently. Uh, maybe for you it's stopping and thinking before you put in that next bid on eBay. Or maybe we ask if our house actually is fine as it is before we start getting a few quotes from builders. Or we look carefully at our wardrobe before we next go shopping. Or, this was a picture on the internet this past week, we stop buying the latest version of the gadget as soon as it comes out and we learn to be content with last year's model. But as we look out for greed, let's remember that it can be subtle. Here's my story, okay? My weakness is my confession. My weakness is guitar gear, especially pedals. Those little electronic boxes, you know, you plug your, they go between your guitar and your amp. They make all these cool sounds. That's my weakness, okay? So it's nighttime, it's evening, the end of a long day, the kids are asleep, and I'm winding down. So what might I do? Well, I'll turn on... YouTube and watch a demo of some of the latest products. You know, the, the cool gear all the great guitarists are playing. I might look at an online forum where they're talking about this kind of thing. But if I'm not careful, it's, a long time, it's not long before something catches my eye. You know, this, this one piece of gear, it stands out. And next thing you know, it becomes a want. Next thing you know, it's practically a need. Next thing you know, I'm thinking about which of my children will I sell off to get the money to buy it. You know, and it can happen without me even thinking about it. It's just this subtle movement forward where I really want that now. Half an hour ago, I never knew it existed. See how subtle it can be? Now, I mean, guitar gear might sound innocent. It might even sound silly to you, but I hope you get the point. Okay. Uh, sometimes my love of guitar gear can almost be a hybrid of lust and greed. How can I say that? Because I find myself all of a sudden unhappy with the nice things that I already have. I find myself thinking way too much about the new stuff and how much of a cool, awesome guitarist I'm going to be when I plug into that. I mean, how good will I sound? Well, maybe not, but you know what I mean, where, where your brain goes. Uh, you know, it might sound crazy, but I can tell. When I'm honest with myself before God, I can tell that my heart is not doing the right things with this stuff sometimes. 
Now again, is it wrong for me to buy some new guitar gear now and then? Of course it isn't. But it depends on where God is in all of this. It depends on what I'm telling myself this new purchase is going to do for me, what it's going to achieve for me, how much significance I'm putting into it. It depends on which kingdom I'm, I'm investing in and how I'm doing that. And when I say it this way, many of us here will listen to this and know that we have something in our lives possibly that might subtly be connected with greed. We just want to have our eyes open as we look towards things in this way. And so related to this, remember, we want to ask that question. We want to ask, have we bought a lie? Uh, This question that I said before, you know, if I only had such and such, then life will be good. Then I will be happy. If we find ourselves thinking that kind of thing, let's be careful. It might mean that greed is on the move. So we want to keep looking out for it. Another thing that we can do as we live Christ's way in a, in a world full of greed is to cultivate a heart of gratitude and contentment. Gratitude and contentment. Uh, I like how 1 Timothy 6 uh, talks about this. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So maybe the next time we're craving, you know, a a master chef type of meal, we should stop and be thankful that we have food on the table and so many people in the world are hungry. You know, we, we don't want to take for granted our places of work or the roof that we have over our head or money in the bank or friends and families and relationships, or certain freedoms that we have in this country. Now, I know that we all don't have each of these things, but we want to be thankful for what we've been given. We want to grow that in our hearts. And on top of that, we want to make sure, then, that we also don't forget how much we're blessed in knowing Jesus. Those of us here who follow Christ, we have so much in him. We've been chosen by him. We've been given new and eternal life. He's poured the spirit out on us. We've been given the church and a new spiritual family. And nothing can take away our hope because of what Jesus has done. Us as Christians, we are truly, truly blessed people. We have been given so much. So let's not let greed cause us to forget what we have and to forget how rich we really are. A heart of thankfulness can go a long way in helping us in the battle against greed. Finally, let me suggest that we live out the very opposite of greed. Let's aim for deliberate generosity as Zacchaeus did. Let's check our giving. Make sure that we're giving well to our church or to Christian ministries or charities or or missionaries. Now, is there someone you know who needs a helping hand, but you need to be the one to initiate that step forward for someone who might not want to ask? Is there a fundraiser that you can give to sacrificially? Is there something you can give to someone in need? You own something and they need it. Just Can you give it to them? Can you sell something on eBay or Gumtree and donate those earnings anonymously to a good cause of some sort? Or maybe a good thing to do would be Instead of making the next purchase of something that you really, when it comes down to it, you just don't need, not make that purchase and ask God where to direct that money instead. Can we aim for deliberate generosity? Can we look for people to bless 
with what God has given us sufferingly. Because, see, friends, greed is all around us. We live in a world that will not make our battle with it very easy sometimes. But let's remember as we wrap up that it doesn't have the final word. Remember, we have life beyond the seven deadly sins. We have new life in Christ. Jesus asks, what good is it to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? But he's made us totally new and given us eternal life. We've made new in him, and so we are incredibly rich in Jesus. So let's remember his grace towards us as we think of these things. Let's remember how he ultimately has met our deepest need. And let's pray that as we're shaped by him, that this in turn will properly shape all of our needs, shape our desires, and shape our wants so that they're pleasing to him. Pray with me, please. Father, we do thank you for this part of your word, exploring uh, the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus and seeing greed more clearly. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this sermon series on, on life beyond the seven deadly sins. And we thank you that you speak into life where it is. And you show us that we have new life in Jesus. That, that means that there is an ultimate hope as we, we battle sin in this world. Uh, Father, please help us to not be products of materialism around us. Lord, give us the courage through your spirit to ask a whole different set of questions and to live radically different when, when so much of Australia tells us to do it differently. Uh, Lord, we ask, please, that you'd help us to be generous people, individually and as a church. Uh, Lord, that you'd help us to have our eyes wide open for greed in all of its forms. Lord, we ask, please, that you will show us uh, a heart of contentment and thankfulness for so much that we have. Lord, we ask that you'll keep changing us into the likeness of Jesus and his strength, Lord, we, uh, we won't uh, be losing a battle to greed, but we will be people truly rich in him. Uh, Lord, please help us to encourage one another in this. Uh, Lord, for those of us in growth groups will be studying this over this coming week. Lord, help us to put our, put our minds and hearts together to think about how we can live this out. Uh, Father, thank you for shaping us and changing us and making us new. Thank you that there is life in Christ beyond the seven deadly sins. Let me pray this in his great name. Amen.